What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Follow our social pages on both those platforms. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I want to wish everyone a uh, Happy New Year's. We're recording here January 3rd. Great uh, guest Friday last week. Good to talk with um, Eric Bellier about the uh, baseball offseason, MLB, just all the things that are going on with uh, baseball. So good to be back with you folks this week. Um, I think uh, as I'm recording this, you know, Tuesday morning, I think uh, just thinking about kind of the sports world in general, um, I think for those of us that have, you know, closely pay attention to to sports and particularly the NFL, I think um, I'll just speak for everyone. You know, I think our our thoughts and prayers are with um, Demar Hamlin and his family after um, he had went down uh, kind of midway through the first quarter last night in Cincinnati, and you know, reports are that he had suffered a cardiac arrest and they had to you know, administer CPR in the field. It does sound like he is, you know. They were able to get a, a heartbeat back, um, and he's currently in critical condition. So, you know, I think it's, you know, challenging to, you know, come on and do this podcast, you know, the next morning after, you know, something so scary and dangerous and, you know, whatever adjective you want to use, um, just, it's tough. I'm not going to lie. You know, I think I internally debated recording today because um, I think it's just it's when you see something like that happen it's bigger than sports and you know it's just the way that you know all these athletes and all these professional leagues you know do absolutely everything to you know make it to their respective leagues whether we're talking about a NBA athlete, an NFL athlete, any of these athletes that work so hard and, you know, sacrifice so much to, you know, make it to the highest levels and you see something like that happen and you never want to see that, you know, you never ever want to see that where someone puts in so much to, you know, make it to whatever league and make an impact and, you know, someone like DeMar, who is a sixth round pick, in 2021, you know, there are no guarantees for guys like that, you know, and I just think it's, it's just, it's the worst possible situation, and I think our thoughts can't really be about, you know, the end of the season and whatnot, you know, our thoughts need to be about, you know, DeMar's condition, and I think, obviously, we're going to talk about the Patriots and you know, NFL stuff, but I don't think that games really matter right now. You know, the whole NFL family is, you know, praying for his recovery and, you know, I just hope that he can pull through. Um, and I think that, you know, the, if there is a positive thing to take out of this, there is a positive thing that you can do. Tamar had um, began a fundraiser when he came into the NFL um, basically a toy drive for um, children who have been impacted by the pandemic. Um, you can go to his 
you can go to GoFundMe, and this uh, GoFundMe is the the Chasing M's Foundation Community Toy Drive. So you can go and donate money. You know, <laughs> I think that since last night the um, toy drive has raised over three million dollars. So you know, you can go help him help his fundraiser, and that's you know what you can do uh, to support him. So. I just thought it made sense to, you know, talk a little bit about that before we got started because, you know, we all love sports. We all love that it brings us all together. But I do think that we have to remember that it's just a game, you know, and these guys are, you know, human beings above all. And they're not numbers, you know, they're not just entertainers or whatever you want to call them they're athletes they're 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 human beings you know and i think that it's unfortunate that there are some people that take situation take advantage of situations like this particularly on social media when something like this happens and people want to make things about themselves you know and want to tweet about how it's going to affect the end of the season like Let's just take a step back for 30 seconds and let's think about these athletes as human beings. I just, I don't really want to get into specifics, but it's just disappointing that we have people that just have no sense of empathy for their fellow human being. You know, it's just, it's just disappointing when things like this happen and that's the immediate reaction that you can't have a basic empathy, um, but I think that, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on that because that's not the point of this. But I think the point of this is to, you know, think about Damar and his family and, you know, pray that he's going to pull through this. And um, we think about these athletes as human beings first. So I think that that's what I'm going to say about this situation. Um, you know, the game obviously was postponed in the first quarter, you know, I think it was really big on the coaches and the teams to, you know, decide to say, we're not going to finish this game. We can't possibly finish this game, you know, and I think shame on the NFL for trying to continue the game being played and, you know, whatever the, the five minute break BS that was going on, if you were watching the, 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 the um, broadcast on ESPN, I don't know how you can possibly give teams five minutes to get ready to play again after a player almost died on the field. It's just like that doesn't make any sense. So um, good on the coaches and good on the teams to, you know, realize that, okay, this is bigger than the game. This is bigger than the sport. The game doesn't matter. You know, what matters is the health and well-being of you know, one of one of the members of their family, whether it's a teammate or, you know, just someone else that's in the league. So I think that's all I'm going to say about that situation. You know, really hope that we get some positive updates about DeMar's health um, in the hours and days to come. So I think that we're going to start today's episode and talk about the uh, talk about Patriots and um, a very important win for the Patriots on Sunday. You know, I think um, for multiple reasons, you know, I think this was a huge win 
Um, I think that there were some guys that stepped up and played really well. Um, I think that specifically the defense and that secondary um, were really, really strong. You know, without three of their top four cornerbacks, I think that the group really pulled together and played really well. You know, you look at Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. If you combine their numbers, it was seven receptions for 107 yards. Tyree Kill just four receptions. Jalen Waddle just three. So I think really kudos to the Patriots secondary that they were able to pretty much keep those two guys out of the game. You know, Tyreek Hill did have a rushing touchdown, but just a tremendous job by the guys in the secondary. You know, Juwan, uh, excuse me, Jonathan Jones played the majority of the game, did get hurt late in the game. He was good. Miles Bryant was really solid. And I think the great advantage that the Patriots have is they have a couple elite safeties, you know, and guys that can basically play kind of a defensive back position, you know, someone like Kyle Duggar, who had a fantastic game, um, and they can have guys who can slide over and, you know, not necessarily play cornerback, but play kind of more of a defensive back if you're trying to, if you're playing more zone defense than man-to-man. So I think the secondary really stepped up because I think that was one of the serious concerns going into this game that, okay, Jack Jones was on IR. You didn't have Marcus Jones. You didn't have Jalen Mills again. So it really kind of fell down to some of those key guys that I mentioned to make plays, and they did. You know, Kyle Tugger really turned the game on its head with his pick six um, in the second half. So I think just a really good defensive effort um, to get a win in a game that you needed a win. You know, a desperate situation that Never mind what the opponent was dealing with, without Tua, it just was like you needed to get a win and get the job done and get it done however, however, however you felt necessary. So I was really pleased with the secondary. You know, I think that again and again, this defense shows you that they're a really good unit. They may not have, you know, one or two superstar players you know I know you could say Judon's a star player because he's you know on pace to break the Patriots or maybe he's a couple sacks behind in the Patriots all-time sack leaders for a single season but you look at some of the other guys that had really good seasons Jabril Peppers had a really good game on Sunday you know Jawan Bentley quietly one of the Patriots best defensive players you know, Jelani Tavai has played really, really excellent this season. And then there are other guys that have just been really solid, really consistent. You know, you think about Devon Godshot, Lawrence Guy, some guys that maybe you don't hear about a lot, but I think they've been excellent. Christian Barmore has come right back, come right back into the lineup and hasn't missed a beat. Um, so I think that this defense deserves a lot of credit for keeping this team alive as long as the season's gone, um, because I think if this defense was struggling, there's no chance that this team would be in the playoff chase. So kudos to how good their defense has been. Um, I also think that offensively, look, they're going to continue to have their bumps and bruises. And yeah, it's not ideal that you're dealing with the same things that 
you've dealt with all season, but it's like, this is what it is. And I think you can only kind of just make the best of the situation. And I think that that's what Mac Jones is doing. Was he perfect on Sunday? No, but he's really done a good job in the last couple of weeks, really ever since, really ever since that Bears game, he's done an excellent job of, you know, not throwing the ball into contested windows. You know, he's done a good job of limiting his, you know, passes that are into, you know, tough situations, whether it's, you know, double coverage or whatever it is. He's really limited his, you know, turnover-prone throws that maybe you saw in the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, and I think he's done a good job there. And I think, look, I think that we can have arguments about who has or hasn't been involved as much as they should be in the passing game, but I thought Tyquan Thornton was really solid in that first half. You know, really made a difference, had that touchdown catch on the first drive. Hunter Henry got involved in this game. And then Jacoby Myers, you know, with a really clutch uh, touchdown catch in the fourth quarter where he, I could not believe how high he cut up off the ground um, and was able to hang on to that touchdown. So I think that, look, it's not going to be perfect But I do think that the Patriots are now, you know, playing with a little bit more of an offensive rhythm where they're not, you know, Mac Jones in particular is not turning the ball over like he did in the first in the first part of the season. Um, And it seems like he's gotten a little bit better. Now, the accuracy has not always been there. You know, it's 20 of 33, which isn't great. Um, But I think being able to make the correct throws and get some different guys involved has been great. You know, I think Tyquan Thornton has come on really strong over the last couple of weeks. So that's been good to see. It was good to see Damian Harris back on Sunday, although it didn't really make too much of an impact. Did have three receptions at 32 yards on the ground. So, you know, I think again, what their offense is, it's just going to be what it's going to be. And I think that we all have to kind of accept that this is probably the offense that they're going to be, and they're probably not going to get too much better. And, you know, I think the thinking was throughout the season that, okay, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. But it hasn't really, but it's like the Patriots are still in a still in a playoff position, you know, and I think that this win Sunday was huge because now it means that the Patriots just have to win another game and they're in the playoffs. So, you know, I think that it's, good to see them come out with a win. You know, unfortunately, I think the way this season has gone, this is kind of, this is this was the type of game that they lose. You know, if you look at some of the way, some of the game, the way that some of, the, some of these games have gone late in the game, you know, that they've not been able to, you know, make the right play or something bad happens. And I think it was one of those games where you're kind of waiting for that, but the Patriots really, I think, defensively made all the right plays and Mac Jones did not turn the ball over, you know, sacked a couple times, but I think that this offense is, I think has had its ups and downs. I think that this game was pretty indicative of what their offense has been all season where they got a touchdown drive in the first quarter and then really they weren't successful the rest of the game until that fourth quarter touchdown drive. And I think you're starting to see that Mac Jones is kind of starting to figure it out. 
a little bit more. So, you know, whether it's something to believe in kind of remains to be seen, but I really liked what I saw from most of these guys um, in that in that win on Sunday. Now, with Jonathan Jones going out and being injured, you know, the Patriots are going to be very, very shorthanded in Buffalo if, you know, it happens to be that all these guys miss another game. You know, I kind of was convinced Jalen Mills was going to come back on Sunday, but he was held out again. But I don't know what his status is. Don't know about Marcus Jones. Uh, Jack Jones was put on injured reserve. So unfortunately, you might have to think that his season's over, um, you know, and then you hope Jonathan Jones can play on Sunday because the Patriots against a team like Buffalo are going to need all the help that they can get in the secondary. So I think that, yeah, there are major concerns having to play against a Buffalo team where you might not be 100% in the secondary. And, you know, you know Buffalo's defense, how good they've been against the Patriots. So it is very hard for me to see the Patriots winning their final game in Buffalo. But clearly, you know, it is still possible the Patriots get in. I believe that the Patriots could still get in if Miami loses and Pittsburgh loses. So that, I think, is what you're looking at for the NFL standings. Um, we'll obviously circle back to them later in the podcast. Um, but I think as it stands right now, the Patriots are in that last playoff spot. And so the Patriots currently have a tiebreaker over, over both of these teams. Um, so if all three of these teams finish with the same record, I believe the Patriots would get in. So it actually, yes, if the Patriots, so if all three teams lose on Sunday, the Patriots would get into the playoffs. Um, then I also think Tennessee might be in play as well um, as they're playing Jacksonville for their division. Um, so I think, I'm not sure how that would shake out with Jacksonville um, and Tennessee, but I do know it's very simple. Patriots just have to win, get in, and then if they don't win, then there might be some craziness. So um, I think just talking about my thoughts about who, what they are as a team, you know, and my thoughts going into the last week of the season where I think me personally, I think I think there are two ways to look at this. The first way is the competitive, you know, always want your team to win. Look at what this team is and be like, okay, I want this team to go out and win every single time they play. I want this team to have a chance to go to the playoffs. I think that's kind of where the competitiveness comes in, where you're like, okay, I want to see this team go to the playoffs. I want to see this team do well. Um, and I think me personally, I always want to see the team do well. And I think despite what, despite who they may or may not play in the playoffs and, you know, despite how, you know, they might get destroyed like they did last year, you know, I don't think that it's a bad thing to be rooting for this team to do well and go to the playoffs because I do think that it helps experience wise, you know, it helps some of the younger guys experience what it's like to prepare for a playoff game and play in a playoff game. And, you know, whether or not the game goes the way that you want it to, 
is kind of irrelevant. You know, you want these guys to get playoff experience. Now, the other side of it is being realistic about what this team is and thinking, okay, is it really worthwhile to watch this team in the playoffs? And I kind of think that that's dumb, but that's just me personally. You know, I can see the argument where, you know, if the Patriots make the playoffs, does that mean that they're less inclined to make major changes to the offense? Now, I don't believe that. I still think that they're going to make changes to the offense because I think it's pretty clear that what they've tried this year hasn't worked. And so I think regardless of how this team performs and whether or not they get into the playoffs, they're still going to be making kind of major change on the offensive side of the ball. So I don't believe that the Patriots are going to have this thought process of, oh, we made the playoffs. What do we need to fix? You know, I don't really think that that's the way they're going to approach it because I think Bill Belichick approaches each season in, you know, how do we get better? You know, how do we improve on what we didn't do well a season before? You know, so I don't think it's really a question of, whether or not they're going to make change to the offense, I believe that they will. You know, then it just becomes, okay, do you as a fan want to see this team make the playoffs and root for the team, or are you more inclined to be like, I don't want to watch this team get destroyed? So, I mean, I don't I don't know. It kind of depends on each person individually, but I just think that I want this team to be successful. I want to see this team win games now. In all likelihood, if they play Buffalo, Kansas City, or Cincinnati in the first round of the playoffs, chances are they probably won't win. But I will say, Kansas City did not look very good against Denver this past weekend. And we saw how the Patriots almost came back against Cincinnati. So I'm not going to say that, oh, they can definitely win in an upset, but playoff games are weird. You know, playoff games are very strange. And you know, who knows? So it will be interesting to see what happens in terms of playoff seating. Um, you know, I kind of don't really know what to think in terms of the game last night. Um, but I think clearly that's not really on anyone's mind. So I think it would be inappropriate to talk about, you know, that game and how it affects seating just because I don't think that it's appropriate. Yeah. I just don't think it's appropriate to talk about it at this time, at this time. But, you know, that's how it is for the Patriots. You win and you're in. And I think we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in week 18. Uh, Patriots and Bills are scheduled to play on Sunday at 1 o'clock. But I think all of us, I think, are thinking about uh, the Bills organization and, you know, the fan base and the family of DeMar Hamlin because that's what matters right now. So... I think we're probably going to move on. Bruins played a uh, rather r- rather interesting hockey game yesterday. <laughs> it was the, uh, the Winter Classic, second Winter Classic at Fenway Park. Uh, the fourth time the Bruins have played in an outdoor game. This was their third Winter Classic. Uh, you may remember the old the Winter Classic in 2010. Uh, Bruins came back and won in overtime and then... No, I'm sorry. This was their fifth Winter Classic. Fourth. Yeah, this was their fifth Winter Classic. Um, 
because there was 2010, 2016. Or no, I'm sorry. This is their fourth Winter Classic, fifth outdoor game, um, because there was the Lake Tahoe game the Bruins played in February of 2021. So Bruins, you know, won in 2010, lost in 2016, um, then won again in 2019, and then played in Lake Tahoe um, two years ago. So Winter Classic at Fenway Park, and the Bruins came out and won. It was a really tremendous game. Um, one of those games that I think you really didn't think the Bruins were going to come out on top. But, you know, <laughs> there's something special about this team that they're able to, to fight back. So that was a really exciting game. Bruins come out with the win. Jake DeBrusque with a couple of goals in the third period. Um, the Bruins win 2-1 to one by the skin of their teeth. You were watching the end of that game. If there was another second on the on the board, <laughs> if there was another second on the board, the Pittsburgh Penguins would have tied the game. So, uh, thankfully, the clock ran out. Bruins win two to one, and you know they do that handshake line at the end, which is always really fun. Uh, but just a tremendous experience to watch that game, and you know all kind of the pageantry that comes along with special events like this, you know, the Bruins bringing out old legends, Chara was out there, Bobby Orr, so uh, really special to see Jason Veritek and Tim Wakefield as well. Um, just a great, great atmosphere, you know, great crowd, really a tremendous, interesting hockey game, you know, went down to the wire, which is so funny. I feel like all these games, almost all these winter classics go right down to the end, so it was great to see the Bruins come through with a win and, you know, no one better than Jake DeBrusque to score both goals, score the game-winning goal. It's just been a whirlwind last couple of years for him, but really been excited with the way that he's played this season. And I think that he's kind of just the perfect player to talk about as we open up 2023 that I think a lot of us didn't know if he was going to be here the last couple of years. And I think it just is kind of a testament to him that he has come in this season, has been motivated, has, and has performed. You know, I think that it would have been easy for him to be, you know, come in and be motivated, but, you know, you got to have that effort. You got to work hard every game. And it's amazing to see that you've seen him working hard and doing the little things every single game. You know, I think in the past it was sometimes, oh, okay. He goes through a seven, eight game stretch where he's looking like he's one of the best players on the ice. And then he'll play five games where it's like, okay, he looks invisible. But it's like every single game you notice him this year. And he's not necessarily scoring a goal a game, but he's doing the thing. He's doing the little things. And I think it's helped his development so much to play with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marsh and just to see how those two guys work. I mean, two of the most professional, just hockey, two just professional guys that have been together for so long. They do the little things so well. You know, they obviously have tremendous skills, but it's the fundamentals. It's the simple things. And I think that that has really helped Jake's game. I think really ever since he's played with them, which he started playing with them last year. So just couldn't be happier uh, for Jake, who now is 16 goals on the season. We're not even halfway through the season. So, you know, well on pace to score 30 goals this season. So uh, really pleased the Bruins have hung on to him. And 
really pleased that he has responded so well to the new to the new coach and uh, you know playing in a top six role you know because I think there were times under Cassidy where you kind of didn't really know where he fit and I think that him playing on the offside and him you know being able to be put in situations to make plays is just great I think one of the things that I've noticed with Jim Montgomery for the first couple of months is not afraid to mix up the lines in game, you know, not scared to put different combinations together. You know, DeBrusque was on the ice with Taylor Hall when he scored the go-ahead goal. I just think that it's been a great thing with the, that he's been comfortable enough, Montgomery has, to be able to kind of switch things up and, you know, put the old perfection line back together in the third period when the game was tied. So kudos to him. And I think it's clearly helped his candidacy for coach of the year when the Bruins have won 29 of their first 37. So uh, just a tremendous win for the Bruins and great way to send this team off to a West Coast trip, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So I think I kind of alluded to it in the beginning talking about this game that the Bruins just have this great ability to, you know, find those timely plays, whether it's a goal to tie the game, whether it's a big save or things like that. Those are the marks of teams that are really, really special. Um, and I don't want to get people's hopes up, but I think, you know, when things like this are happening, when you don't feel out of any game, that's the mark of a special team. And that's the mark of a team that I think really if we think about, you know, Stanley Cup, if we dare to talk about that type of thing, um, this is a team that I just feel like nothing is getting in their way, that they're not a team that really looks at any any task like it's impossible. You know, we've seen time and time again this team find their legs in the third period and, you know, take the lead. Or, you know, a game against Florida a couple of weeks ago when the Bruins you know, jumped out to that 4 nothing lead. Florida comes back, makes it 4-3. to And the Bruins come in with a really professional third-period effort, outscored them 3 nothing, win the game 7-3. to And I think, you know, never feeling like they're out of the game. And it's like, yeah, you felt a lot yesterday that the puck is jumping all over the place. The Bruins weren't really getting a lot of high-quality scoring chances. And then, boom, boom, Jake DeBrusk ties the game and then takes and then scores the go-ahead goal scores the go-ahead goal and they're like this is unbelievable it's like every other game they're doing this where they're seemingly in a spot where you don't feel like they're going to come through with a point come through with a win and they're finding ways to win games now it's not always going to be going to be that way you know Bruins lose a game um, against Buffalo at home which is kind of a reverse of how you'd expect things to go that you know, Buffalo kind of catches the Bruins with a goal that Jeremy Swayman probably should have had, and then they win um, in overtime. So the Bruins aren't going to win every single game. But I think just the thought that you can be down in the third period and you can have full confidence that your team is going to be able to make make the plays, whether it's scoring goals, whether it's coming up with big saves, as Linus Olmark came up with some big saves late in that third period uh, to preserve the win yesterday. So... Just another reminder of 
how good and how always competitive this team is going to be. That they may not play their best, but they're always going to play their hardest. You know, they're always going to give effort. And I just think that you love to see player a player like Nick Foligno ask the coach if he can have the, the room in the third period. You know, you may have heard about that through various publications that, you know, he wanted the opportunity to speak to the team. And I think that, again, you know, it speaks to the great leadership with this team that it's not always the guys necessary. I don't want to say that it's the guys you don't expect, but I think when you would think about a game like that, you think about Bergeron or Marchand being the guys that, you know, talk to the team and say, okay, we need to go out and play a great third period. But I think just great that, you know, Nick Foligno can say whatever he needs to say to the group and they can be motivated from that. So just a tremendous win, tremendous game all around for the Bruins. And I think timely plays has kind of been the, uh, has kind of been the, uh, um, it's kind of been the uh, mantra of this Bruins team, um, you know, maybe not officially, but I just feel like they're always making, making, making great, making the right plays at the right time. So um, I think just kind of looking at how the Bruins have done recently, um, you know, the unfortunate loss in overtime to uh, Buffalo Bruins had a loss in um, Ottawa in the shootout last week. Then were able to beat the Devils in a game where, again, didn't really have their best game, but they were able to find goals in the third period to win. So, you know, and we've talked about this a lot, that I think even games where the Bruins don't play their best or lose, they're still getting points, which is great. You know, it's always good to have points packed for inevitably when you go through a slide, which is probably still going to happen. You know, I know I've kind of been saying this, the first couple months of the season, but, you know, unfortunately it is going to happen. The Bruins are going to go through a tough stretch, but I think when you're getting points every other game or every game, it really helps you going forward. So um, there was a report, unfortunately, that was false or ended up being false. David Pasternak had uh, signed an extension with the Bruins, which I still expect some point this season, um, or perhaps in the off season. you know, I think... As Pasternak's agent, you know, referenced the report and said that it was false, um, did reference the fact that the sides are talking all the time, you know, that he and Sweeney are in constant communication. And, you know, I think that I'm not really concerned that they've not signed something yet. You know, I think they're going to agree. And I think ultimately it might be eight years for 11 million per year, which was the report that may ultimately be what the contract is going to be, but I think, you know, people getting concerned that they haven't signed him or, you know, that the value of his contract is going up. I think that there was an interesting tweet from, I think it was from Bruins Network. You should definitely uh, follow that account on Twitter. It's the best Bruins account on Twitter. Um, and I think he was saying something to the effect of, Pasternak statistics this season are kind of still in line with his kind of expectations 
where it's like you kind of, the numbers are kind of similar to what you would expect. Um, and so it's not like, okay, he's performing at this Connor McDavid level where you have to pay him 13 million a year. I still think that you can pay him 11 million. I don't think that that's out of the question, um, but I don't think that I necessarily think that, oh, the price is going up every time he scores a goal or every time, you know, he does something crazy. It's like, no, I mean, his value is going to be what his value is going to be. And I think that, I think he said that he doesn't really care about being paid or, well, shouldn't say it that way, but I don't think he necessarily cares about how much he's making. You know, I think he just wants to be here, wants to be a part of the Bruins and you know, not really a guy that I think is going to be concerned about, oh, you know, what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen when Bergeron and Krejci inevitably retire? You know, I think that he's a guy that just wants to be here and, you know, loves this city, loves this fan base. And I think will probably sign for something under his, you know, value, but it's like 11 million is pretty good. And I think being paid among some of the top players in the league is right where he should be. So it'll be interesting to pay attention to. Uh, Bruins do have a West Coast trip later this week. They will be going to Los Angeles to play the Kings on Thursday night. Then they'll have a back-to-back in San Jose on Saturday night and then in Anaheim on Sunday night. So really good matchup with a Kings team that has started to play really, really well. That's going to be a very difficult challenge uh, for the Bruins. And then a back-to-back, two teams in San Jose that am in Anaheim that, you know, aren't very good. But I think with road trips like this, you always, I think, need to be careful of teams that are bad, you know. And I think being smart and realizing that, okay, these games might be trap games and having to play a back-to-back may be challenging, but... Um, I do think this game against the Kings is going to be very interesting. See how they do against one of the top teams in the West. Uh, so interesting to interested to see um, how this road trip goes. Um, and then the Bruins will be home for three games after that next week against Seattle, Toronto, and then Philadelphia. So the rest of this month is pretty peppered with road games. The Bruins. Only have four home games at TD Garden this month. Um, that's excluding the Winter Classic, which technically was a home game. I don't know if I consider it that because it wasn't at the Garden. But again, only four games at the Garden for the Bruins this month. And they'll be on the road for, um, if I do some quick math here, nine games. Nine games away from uh, TD Garden. So be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and I think we're probably going to move on. Talk about the Boston Celtics, your Boston Celtics, who had one of the uh, weirdest things I've ever seen in a basketball game. There was a play in the fourth quarter. If those of you that were watching, Robert Williams threw down a vicious two-handed alley-oop dunk and knocked the rim off center, and the game had to be stopped for 30 minutes. They ultimately replaced the rim, uh, which just was kind of a wild, hilarious thing. Is just, you know, you have NBA athletes playing in a game, high intensity, 
up and down the floor, and then the game just stops. And the game just stops for 30 minutes, and it's just, you saw guys doing everything, you know, warming up. Marcus Smart was, you know, sitting at the opposite end at the free throw line. You know, Danilo Gallinari is saying what's up to, you know, Mav or uh, Nuggets trainers or whoever that, you know, he obviously was familiar with in his time in Denver. You just had a million things going on. So uh, it just was interesting to see how those guys passed the time. You know, unfortunately, this was not a good game for the Celtics. Uh, could not make a three to save their lives. And it was really frustrating because they were moving the ball well. You know, they were playing a good offensive game, but they just were, you know, maybe maybe that rim was screwing them up. Who knows? But um, it was definitely a uh, challenging game for the Celtics. You know, I think a game that I think you would have liked for them to have. Denver was just shooting the lights out. Everyone was making threes. So, you know, can't get super upset. You know, it is... Just whenever they play Denver, it's just amazing to watch uh, Jokic go to work and play at the level that he's playing at. And it's just, I think that, you know, my thing with like MVPs or like coach of the year or whatever, you know, you just give it to the best player and he's the best player in the league. And, you know, we'll talk about Jason Tatum in a little bit, but it's just the way that he plays the game. He makes it look so easy. You know, it's unfair having a guy like that who's that good, that good of a passer, that good of a shooter, that good of an offensive player that he reminds you of Larry Bird. He literally does everything Larry Bird did on the court. And he might actually be a better player than Larry Bird. I know that that sounds insane, but it's like you see the way that he controls the game, controls the pace, and does pretty much everything he wants on the floor. You know, getting triple-doubles for him is, is, is easy. You know, just a guy that big and that size can get wherever he wants to get on the floor. He can shoot. He can make threes. It's it's honestly, it's like I don't know what you do defensively against this guy. The Celtics were putting Horford on him, Grant Williams, and the Celtics, have, the Celtics are a very good defensive team, although... They may not be as good as they were last season. I mean, Rob Williams has had something to do with that as he's not been healthy most of the year, but it's just, it makes it look so easy. You know, it's kind of amazing that this Denver team is not, you know, in the running for the championship every single year. And I think, you know, injuries have had something to do with it, but Jokic is just an amazing player. So, you know, tough loss for the Celtics, and it was... You know, frustrating. They come off four straight wins and playing at a really high level um, offensively. So, you know, it just was tough that it seemed like they were playing well offensively. They just weren't making shots. So, you know, you kind of see what happens the rest of this trip. But I think, yeah, it's fair to be concerned. I think the way that that West Coast trip ended a couple of weeks ago and you want to make sure that it doesn't fester. Um, but I think that <clears throat> the Celtics can't get discouraged. Um, and I think especially going into tonight's game against the Thunder, this is a team that you should be able to take advantage of defensively. Because they're a young team. You know, Gilgis Alexander is a tremendous player, but the Celtics should have no problem scoring points in this game. So... You know, hopefully the shooting numbers return back to normal. 
because the Celtics were just couldn't make a three um, in Denver. So, you know, you hope that they can be a little bit better tonight. But I think the way that they're moving the ball is great. You know, the last five games, you can, you I think, include the Denver game where they're moving the ball, they're playing at a great pace, and I think doing exactly what they were doing at the beginning part of the season. So, you know, you hope that they've kind of turned a corner in terms of that, that they've kind of found their groove back. So it'll be an interesting game tonight against Oklahoma City, but I think the Celtics should be able to bounce back. And then obviously the rest of the road trip, um, they're in Dallas against Luka on Thursday night, and then they will be in San Antonio to play the Spurs. So another unbelievable MVP candidate, and Luka has been playing at a otherworldly level right now. Is averaging, I think, over 45 a game in his last six games, which is just ridiculous. And I think we'll talk about this later in the NBA, but it just seems like there are guys having unbelievably elite offensive games this year. Um, so good luck to the Celtics playing defense against Luka Thursday night. But, you know, hopefully the Celtics can play, continue to play more cohesively offensively as a team and, you know, have confidence that they can be able to withstand, you know, an MVP-like performance. So um, been great to see Rob Williams get back into the swing of things at a fantastic game um, against Houston last week at 15 rebounds and was throwing dunks down left and right. So it seems like he started to kind of get back into the swing of things, which is great for the defense um, and great for the offense too. You know, he's one of, I think, one of the most underrated guys in terms of getting loose balls off of rebounds, whether it's a ball off of a rebound and he's tipping it, tipping it out, you know, or just simply keeping plays alive, I think goes a long way in terms of keeping the team engaged and keeping the team motivated and, you know, just as great to see how they're just great to see the intensity that he's playing with, which I think really rubs off on other guys. So very pleased with how well Rob has come back after the injury, but there is kind of an interesting debate going on. You know, I think Joe Missoula had said recently that they're intending to bring Rob Williams off the bench for a period of time, which I think kind of brings into question oh, okay, you know, rethinking of bringing him in off the bench. You know, I do think that what they're doing right now is still having him on, like, a minutes restriction, although I don't think that that's necessarily public information, but I just that kind of what it is what it feels like to me, that, you know, they're bringing him in off the bench. He's only playing some spurts at a time, which I think is smart. You know, I don't think that... You wanted to thrust him into the starting line, starting lineup right away. You know, I think that would have been concerning. But I think when a player is coming back from injury, and I think especially a player that is a high energy player like Rob, like Rob Williams, there's always, I think that there's always a good thought to bring a player like that off the bench, where you know if you're not playing well, if you're not shooting well, you can bring a guy in like that and he can create easy baskets for not only himself, but other guys too, because he makes, he, you know, he creates such an effect that a player can 
be driving to the basket and the defender thinks, oh my God, are they going to lob it up to Rob Williams? They sort of kind of sag back on the guy who's driving and the guy who's driving can, you know, find an open lane and score. And score. So I think that he just affects how they play on both ends. So, you know, I could see continuing to bring him off the bench as being a positive, you know, gives Grant Williams a chance to start more games, which I think is good for his development. So, you know, I think that they will bring him off the bench for a period um, and then he'll start at some point. But I think right now I prefer him coming off the bench. You know, I think it just, it just helps them. I think it helps their offense and, you know, gives you kind of a boost of energy. So it'll be interesting to see what happens the next couple of weeks. You know, I think that maybe toward the end of the month, you might see him starting a little bit more regularly, but the Celtics are in no rush. You know, that's the great thing is they are one of the, if not the best team in the league at 26 and 11, they can afford to take their time. You know, they can afford to have Rob, you know, coming in and playing, um, you know, small minutes, small minutes, or not small minutes, but just minutes off the bench. Um, And I think, um, again, yeah, you could see him coming off there, continuing to come off the bench and then starting at some point. Um, the Celtics do have a lot of road games coming up, so be interesting to see. You know, they, like the Bruins, are going to be out on the road a lot in the month of January. Um, if I look at the uh, home games that they have this month, they only have five, so... Celtics are going to be road warriors this month, so that will be interesting to see. Um, one last little Celtics thing I did want to get to was uh, the Jason Tatum MVP talk that, surprise, surprise, people in the Boston media don't like that um, and can't stand, you know, that one of the local players is doing well um, and, you know, being in the thick of MVP conversation. There's some ridiculous column that I really honestly probably don't want to talk about, but basically the thing was like, oh, you shouldn't be talking about MVP now. And it's just like, are we not allowed to enjoy a local player doing well and, you know, playing at such a high level where it's like, he's playing at the same high level that some of these other guys are, you know, maybe he's not scoring 45 points every game like Luca. Maybe he's not putting up a triple double every single game like um, Doncic, but they're like uh, Jokic, excuse me. Um, but I think that, look, he's one of the top MVP guys this season. And that's according to a lot of like people that are in, that are kind of in tune to the NBA and guys that, you know, know a lot about the game. And I just think it's just the classic Boston media thing where, you know, oh, something's going well, oh, we can't possibly be happy about that. So um, Jason's been playing at a great level, and I think that, yeah, he does have to play at a high level every single game, which is kind of what we expect, but I think it's never too early to talk about the MVP. You know, we're talking about the MVP already. When you look at Jokic, you look at Doncic, you look at these guys that are putting up these amazing numbers. It's never too early to talk about the MVP. It just kind of seems like a wild thing that we're talking like, 
oh, you shouldn't be talking about the MVP award when we are almost halfway through the season. So, you know, that's kind of all I'm going to say. But look, I'd like to see Jason Tatum doing well. Sue me. So <laughs> that's really all I'm going to say. So uh, getting a little bit into the Red Sox, there has been some news. They did sign Corey Kluber to um, a one-year deal. You may, may remember him as a two-time Cy Young winner with the uh, Cleveland, uh, with, with Cleveland, um, pitched, he pitched a little bit, I think it was last season that he pitched a little bit in, or no, you know what, I think it was the season before, yeah, it was the season before that he pitched in New York, um, he had pitched in Tampa Bay last season, um, you know, this guy that's been around, you know, I think a solid, solid starting pitcher, you know, was never really, I would say, typically never really blows you away, although he has won two Cy Youngs. Um, but I think, you know, those numbers are kind of a little bit more, you know, not as recent, you know, 2017 and 20, 2014 for the years that he won Cy Young. So it's a little bit removed. Um, did win 20 games in 2018, but hasn't really been the same pitcher. Um, has, hasn't really been the same pitcher as he's dealt with injuries over the last couple of years. Um, did make 16 starts with the Yankees in 2021. Went 5-3 with a 3.83 ERA. And then last year in Tampa. Last year in Tampa was 10-10. and with a 4.34 ERA. So, you know, a guy that can give you solid innings, 164 innings last year. So, you know, just another solid guy that I think can be added to the rotation. You know, I think that if you look at the rotation right now, you know, you're looking at Chris Sale, Kluber, Nick Pavetta, uh, Brian Bayo, and uh, yikes, I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Um, I guess because the Red Sox did lose, um, uh, and I guess, yeah, Garrett Whitlock will be used as a starter too, um, because the Red Sox did lose Rich Hill and, uh, Nathan Navaldi this past or last week, uh, to free agency, Rich Hill going to Pittsburgh, Nathan Navaldi joining the Dodgers with J.D. Martinez. So, you know. I think that I'm a little bit upset that they didn't re-sign Nathan Navaldi. I think especially if it wasn't for like a year or two, and it just seems like, you know, yeah, Nathan has the the, the issues um, in terms of staying healthy. You know, it's always kind of been a thing with him, but I feel like I almost rather would have paid him for a year or two than Corey Kluber just looking at, you know, what he's done over the last two seasons, you know. Is it really going to make that much of a difference? I don't think so. You know, Nathan Navaldi's a solid pitcher, but is a guy that's kind of going to deal with injuries. And yeah, I mean, I think he's a good postseason pitcher, but it's like, if you look at this Red Sox team with or without Nathan Navaldi, you know, they're a borderline playoff team. So it's like getting to the playoffs for the Dodgers is way easier than I think getting to the playoffs if you're the Red Sox. So you know, just kind of some things to think about. I think 
you know, it'll be interesting to see if Chris Sale can stay relatively healthy. You know, you see with Brian Bayo how his development goes in year two. Um, but I think that if this rotation can stay healthy, it's not bad. You know, it's really not bad at all. You know, if Chris Sale can be, you know, semi-decent and stay healthy, you know, if Kluber can be a solid pitcher, if Pavetta can be solid, if Bayo can be really can 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 be really good and Willock can be good too. I mean, I think it's not a bad rotation, but I do think that yeah, there's a possibility that things go wrong with you know injury history with most of those guys. So you know it'll be interesting to see. You know, Rafael Devers still nothing on his contract, which I think gets more and more concerning by the week. You know, and kind of is like. The longer time goes by, the more likely he's going to be traded than signed to a long-term extension. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but really no updates on that as of yet. Um, we'll move into talking about the um, NFL from Week 17 um, in terms of how games went this past weekend. It was a Thursday night game in... Tennessee, the Cowboys beating the Titans 27 to 13. Uh, Cowboys had clinched a playoff spot already. I, I think it, it, there's is still a possibility that they could win the division. I think we'll take a look at the standings after, but um, good win for the Cowboys. Titans drop another game as they drop to seven and nine. Cowboys 12 and four with the win. The Falcons hitting a game-winning field goal as time expired to beat the Cardinals. They improved to six and ten. Uh, Cardinals are four and twelve. Both teams, or neither of those teams, go into the playoffs. Uh, the Lions keep their playoff hopes alive with a forty-one to ten win over the Bears. Lions are eight and eight. Bears three and thirteen. Uh, the Chiefs taking a little bit, taking a little bit to beat. Um, a Denver Broncos team without their, or had, having recently fired their head coach. Chiefs get the win 27-24, stay alive for their number one seed in the AFC. The Giants clinch a playoff spot 38-10, beating the Colts. Daniel Jones, a really solid game. Really excited uh, to see how this Giants team does in the postseason. The Saints beating the Eagles 20-10. Gardner Minshew playing for Jalen Hurts again. Saints win. Eagles dropped to 13 and threes are going to need to win their final game to get that number one seed. So interesting to see with Jalen Hurts availability. Maybe does he come back week 18? Although I think Nick Sirianni has kind of made it clear that they're not going to bring him back until he's healthy. So could be possible that he misses another game this week. Buccaneers clinch the division 30 to 24. Tom Brady with a tremendous game. 432 yards and three touchdowns, all of them to Mike Evans. So big rebound effort for the Buccaneers um, in this game as they had fallen behind uh, early in this game, but they come back to win. The Browns beat the Commanders and knock them out of the playoff contention. 24-10, Deshaun Watson with three touchdown passes, two of them to Amari Cooper. The Jags stay alive for a playoff spot as they dominate the Texans. 31 to 3, the final score there. 49ers knocking 
the Raiders out of playoff contention, 37-34 overtime win after an interception. Uh, Jarrett Stidham was given the keys to the Raiders' offense and played a pretty good game, 365 yards and three touchdowns through the air, uh, but through the interception in overtime, 49ers win, improved to 12-4, Raiders fall to 6-10. The Seahawks keep their hopes alive for the playoffs with a 23-6 win as they eliminate the Jets. And then the Packers continue their amazing run to a potential postseason berth, beating the Vikings 41-17. Packers will play the Lions in Week 18, win and they're in. The Chargers beat the Rams 31-10, and then the Steelers come back to beat the Ravens 16-13 as they stay alive in the AFC playoff chase. So again, kind of taking a look at the uh, playoff standings will start in the NFC this time. The Eagles still with the inside track to the number one seed win, and they get the number one seed. Uh, 49ers and the Vikings in second and in third, both of those teams. And then I think Dallas, I think all three of those teams might be in play for the number one seed. So as it stands right now, it's the Eagles, the 49ers, the Vikings, and the Buccaneers. As the division winners, Eagles would get a first round bye. And then the wildcard teams, as it stands, Dallas, New York, and Seattle, with Detroit and Green Bay right there. Believe that if Green Bay wins, they will be that seventh playoff team. So the NFC looking for that seventh playoff team with the Seahawks, Lions, and Packers still alive. So Packers win and they're in. I believe that Seattle would need Detroit to win, and then they would need to win to get that playoff spot. Um, then the Lions, I believe, would need to win and have Seattle lose to make the playoffs. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there in the NFC. Um, or in the AFC, the Chiefs still, or I think the Bills still in the driver's seat for the number one seat. But um, I'll take a look. Because I think, yeah, Jacksonville and Tennessee, they have still not clinched. So one of those teams makes the playoffs. They will play each other in. I don't know if it's necessarily a winner-take-all game on uh, Saturday night, but I think if the Jags are able to win, they will clinch a playoff spot. The Titans, I believe, would need to win and then would need help. We've already kind of covered the Patriots. So those are the only two playoff spots that are still up for grabs as I kind of I would think that the NFC South or the AFC South game is a winner take all not positive on that but it'd be a huge game nonetheless the Jags can get back to the playoffs and then we've covered uh, how the Patriots can do so I think that we will move to Moving around the NBA and NHL. Um, or actually, now we'll take a look at some MLB notes. Uh, not really any other uh, signings other than the Red Sox bringing in Corey Kluber, uh, the Marlins bringing in Gene Segura on a two year deal. Um, I think most of the free agents have been signed at this point, but we'll obviously keep you updated throughout 
the offseason. So now we're going to get to the NBA. It has been a wild last couple of weeks. There have been players scoring ridiculous amount of points. There were two impressive performances last night. Clay Thompson with 54 points in the Warriors double overtime win. Um, and then the story in the NBA everyone's talking about. Donovan Mitchell, 71 points in the Cavaliers overtime win over the Bulls. So just two unbelievable performances. Uh, Golden State winning in two overtimes against Atlanta. And then the Cavaliers beating the Bulls in overtime. 71 points, most points scored since Kobe Bryant put up 81 in 2006. You know, LeBron had 43 points the other night. Giannis had 47. Just a crazy um, recent scoring binge. You know, I don't think it's necessarily bad defense. You know, as Keith Smith said on Twitter, um, he's saying guys just are finding finding new way finding finding ways to put up a lot of points and be efficient and you know kind of goes to show you the parity in the NBA with all these star players and you know just a ridiculous outing for for Mitchell with 71 clay with 54 so um, we'll take a look at the NBA standings take a look at where things stand at the moment as we're almost to the halfway point of the NBA season. Celtics still in first place in the East, followed by the scorching hot Brooklyn Nets, who have won 12 straight games and are just a game back of the Celtics for first place in the East. And then Milwaukee, Cleveland, third and fourth, followed by the Sixers and the surprising Indiana Pacers, who have won four in a row and seven out of 10. They are currently sixth place in the Eastern Conference. And then in the play-in positions, you have the Heat, the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Washington Wizards with the Bulls and the Raptors just a half game back of that final playoff or play-in position, I should say. The Nuggets lead the West half game over Memphis, and then New Orleans is in third, followed by Dallas, who has won seven in a row, um, the Kings, and then the Clippers. And then in the play-in positions, you have the Trailblazers, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Jazz with Minnesota a game and a half back of that final play-in spot. Some games tonight, obviously Celtics and Thunder at 8 o'clock. There's also an 8 o'clock game on NBA TV, the Wizards and the Bucks. And then at 9 o'clock, the Kings and the Jazz. So we're going to move over and talk about the um, NHL. The uh, World Juniors is going on right now, Team USA. Will play Team Canada tomorrow night in the semifinals. There was also a report uh, yesterday before the Winter Classic that the 2024 Winter Classic will be in Seattle as the Kraken will host the Vegas Golden Knights at T-Mobile Park in Seattle where the Seattle Mariners play. So that will be something exciting to look forward to. Um, Joe Pavelski signed a new one-year deal with the Stars. So he will return after this season. Alex Ovechkin recently had his 30th career hat trick for the Capitals. So we'll take a brief look at the standings. The Bruins obviously well in hand or well atop the uh, Atlantic Division with a 10-point lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
for uh, or Toronto's in second, Bruins in first, 62 points. Maple Leafs are in second with 52, and then Tampa Bay in third place in the division with 47 points. In the Metropolitan, Carolina has been unbelievable. They've won 11 in a row, and I think have had points in 15 or 16 games, so they have uh, catapulted to the top of the Metropolitan with 56 points. The Devils are in second with 49 points, and then the Capitals, who have been scorching hot lately, are in third place in the division with 47 points. And then the wildcard teams, the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins, Rangers 46 points, Pittsburgh with 44, and then the Islanders also have 44 points. Pittsburgh with the advantage because they have played one fewer game. In the Western Conference, uh, Vegas leads the Pacific and the Conference with 54 points. Kings are in second with 48 points. Bruins will play them on Thursday. And then the Flames in third place with 43 points. In the Central, Dallas leads the division with 52 points, followed by Winnipeg with 47 and Minnesota with 44. In the wildcard positions, Seattle and Edmonton both with 42 points. Colorado just one point behind uh, both of those teams for the final playoff spot out west. So a number of games tonight. Um, five games at 7 o'clock. Arizona and Florida, Carolina and the Rangers. Columbus and Ottawa, St. Louis and Toronto, and Buffalo against Washington. And then at 8 o'clock, Montreal and Nashville, Columbus and Winnipeg. And then at 8.30, Tampa Bay and Chicago. At 9 o'clock, Seattle, Edmonton. And then a pair of games at 10 o'clock, Dallas and L.A. Um, and then the Islanders against the Vancouver Canucks. So I think last little bit before we go, the uh, college football bowl games have kicked up. There have been some wild games over the last couple of days. Uh, the uh, I think yeah, it was the Cotton Bowl yesterday. Uh, Tulane uses a 16-point comeback in the final few moments to upset USC. That was that was a really wild sight to see if you were watching that uh, alongside the Bruins game. So they come back to win. Um, and then obviously the college football playoff. Both of those games were unbelievable. TCU outlasting Michigan 51-45. And then Georgia using a or excuse me, Ohio State had the chance uh, to win the game, missed a field goal at the uh, missed a field goal at the buzzer. So Georgia and TCU will play in the national championship on Monday. We'll probably talk about that game in a week, uh, but it should be a really exciting game. As you know, in some of these big bowl games, defense has been optional. So uh, tremendous games on both sides. So they're tremendous games all around. Um, as we're nearing the end of bowl season. So I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. Um, looking forward to, I uh, guess, Friday later this week. You may have noticed on our social pages that we're doing a mailbag again. So be sure to send me any questions um, that I'll answer. Really excited to uh, see what questions I get. So we'll talk to you folks on Friday. You have until 10 a.m. to send me some questions, then I'll be recording. So we'll talk to you folks then.